Hey everybody, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. First of all, I want to give a big shout out to our main sponsors, Rising Suns, the award-winning brewery in Cork. Uh, if you're down in the vicinity, lads, please call in and have a few beers with some fellow metalers in the Rising Sun. It's easy enough to find as well as in the city centre. So I'm delighted to welcome Gamma Bomb to the show. I've got Joe, I've got Philly and I've John. Thanks a million for taking the time to join me, lads. Hey, Richie. Thanks for having us Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Joe, for twisting their arms, really. Uh, that creative harp is on its way to you, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> dragging I'm going to send it somewhere else and post it on. It'll be like a bad luck letter that if you don't post it on to somebody else, you end yeah, up probably customs will fucking yeah. nail me for it as well. But sure, look, that's a different story. Lads, <laughs> you're here to promote Bats. Jesus, how many albums have you <laughs> No, Is it number eight? Number eight. Eight, eight albums. Eight. Unbelievable, yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. Well, it's really uh, a sign of things to come, you know, because, like, you were fairly prolific when you look at Sea Savage, and there's not much, what is it, two, three years, is it, roughly? Yeah, well, we finished it within, like, two years of Sea Savage coming out. That's right, yeah, because you were on the show on the 19th of June 2020, I had to look that up, and that was just a shit fest, really, because we were just coming out of the lockdown, and it was just fucking horrible times, wasn't it, lads? Yeah, it was weird. Although, I don't think times have stopped being weird since. So. Do you think? It never yeah, was. We're, still, we're, we're still actually getting a knock on, because I think part of the reason why this album's coming out now instead of six months ago is because there's still, like, a huge delay in getting vinyl pressed oh, okay. and all that sort of stuff, and it's all right. just related to all the lockdown stuff. Yeah, yeah, the room has definitely been an issue in this. So, like, we we had this album ready at the start of this year, pretty much. Well, we could have had it ready at the start of this year. Right, um, okay. Uh, but, yeah, vinyl delays are totally insane. So, More or less, you had to have everything six lined months, up. Six I was just looking at your merch on uh, Bandcamp, like, big red, sold out, sold out, sold out. So, Yeah, like, pre-orders is a tricky one, you know. Mm. Bandcamp tends to be, like, different bands do it different ways, but... Bandcamp is almost the preserve of our label, mostly, apart from some of the digital music on it. It's yeah. kind of where we're starting to do theirs. So if there's red stickers on it saying sold out, that's good news because it means exactly. the pre-orders are happening. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like merch is a big thing for us, you know. Like of course. We have that ridiculous logo and the monster and everything. So we yeah. try to try to play the merch game. Shake mm. it, so, baby, shake it. Yeah, so look, I want to congratulate you on Bats. Joe, thanks for sending that on to me, man. Where I listened to it, Philly, I'm not sure, John, do you know, it was, it was down in the remote, just loneliness of Castle Gregory in Kerry. So what my ritual was, was every night we just went on the piss and the car was inevitably left at this pub, which was probably four or five miles of a beach walk. So every morning I used to get up, everybody was asleep and I just throw on the headphones and throw on bats and make my way through the beach, listening to this fucking... It's an yeah. incredible album, like lads. It's oh, absolutely. Yeah, Richie, that's probably the most like uh, romantic environment anyone has ever listened to our music in ever. Of like, course what? it is, and it'll always be associated with it, Philly. And just... Normally, people listen to our albums when they're having a very difficult poo, and they're like, oh, "I'll just stick one on for half an hour here and get this done," you know, get the sweats. Yeah, uh, yeah that's <laughs> I'm glad you, you have enjoyed it. Uh, I haven't listened to it since we finished it. Now I think I listened to it a few times. Okay. Kind of echoes back in the box, you know? Yeah, they were looking at the solitary dude moshing along the fucking beach, like, I mean, <laughs> you know. The old man. Yeah. It's definitely standing on the shoulders of Sea Savage. And 
I just want to throw that actually now that I bring up Sea Savage and maybe you can all give me one song each. Which song do you think from Sea Savage fits in to this album, Bats? I think Sheer Khan. Sheer Khan, yeah, definitely, yeah, 100%. Anything else? Oh. Yeah. John? I would say um, Judo Killer. The reason really? Because, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just because um, we had this kind of little kind of a guest on Judo Killer, you know, that uh, Japanese lady, and we have kind of on the new album, we have little kind of quirks like that. So that's... Okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like slightly like casting the net around. I think like, Khan, because Sheer Khan's a bit slower and it's kind of groovy. Yeah, definitely. Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's definitely that's... a bit more. There's a bit more songs like Sheer Khan on this album, but I don't know if there's anything really kind of as slow as it, or maybe there is. Um, I would probably say like Gone Haywire, just because I really like that song and I kind of, it was the last song written for the last album, so it felt like the most natural, right? This is the, the first okay. song of these sessions. A bit of a neglected stepchild, that tune. You know, yeah, I um, went with uh, Ready Steady Goat, yeah. I think Ready Steady Goat's in the same kind of vein as like mm. even stuff like Dream Stealer has a wee bit of that in it, and yeah. yeah, like, yeah, it's it's funny. It's when James uh Stewart, who recorded the drums, when he finished the drums, he was like, he was really happy with it, and you know, he, he sent us a message and he said, He said, You're not a thrash band anymore, you're just playing this weird metal. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, well, take it as a compliment, you know, but I think that is true. The album is a mix of thrash and metal, I guess. You know, it's uh, Bats, is it? Yeah, I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of half thrash tunes and half something else. Well, yeah, I mean, you went out on record and saying that it was your weirdest one yet, Philly. Yeah. Maybe you could elaborate on that? Well, I suppose by weird, I was trying to find a word to sum up uh, the kind of freewheeling buzz that we had when we made it. So okay. In the past, we've always taken quite a bit of pride and care in policing each other's ideas for the records to make sure that we're consistent. Right. Um, and, you know, that was definitely a rule that Paul, our, our drummer, played in the band. Um, and with Paul's departure, and I think with Sea Savage, uh, I don't know how to describe it. The songwriting got a bit more brave. It was more representative. There were more songs that were written by all the members. <laughs> Yep. Um, and there was a bit less fear, like, oh, if you bring a riff like Sheer Khan to the table, it can make it to the album. And then yes. playing that live, playing that live, playing slower tunes and groovy tunes and stuff live, people really enjoyed those. So mm. it meant that the feedback was good. If we'd have made it and people were like, no, only fast stuff, never do this again, you would have known yeah. all about it. Um, so kind of the fact that it felt healthy and then it went down really well, we came into this record with all that, positive baggage <clears throat> you know we had all that muscle built up so i think there was a lot more everyone throwing songs in and whenever we were demoing songs and stuff there was just a bit more awareness that like we were going to do more stuff uh that's a very stupid sentence there was more awareness that we could push the boat out more and while it's still definitely a metal record and it's still very fast a lot of it there's loads of stuff on that that we never would have done before yes like yeah. there's a big outro with the saxophone solo there's a hip-hop uh, sequence with a rapper on it. There's, you know, there's scad there as well, disguise, but there is scad. Yeah, there definitely is like wee bits of stuff like that, and there's like disco beats and some of the yeah. sheer can is a disco beat on it from the last album, and you know mm. some of the tunes have that, and yeah, like it covers a really broad spectrum, and like songs that we didn't use for it. There's one that has a choir that we didn't use for the album, and you know there's other slower groovy songs and other really fast. So like we were very very productive 
I think in total, lads, we did like 30 pieces of music, didn't we? Well, more, actually. Really? I think with them, with, with doing like Sea Savage, um, it was definitely a lot more kind of everybody's going to pitch in and write the songs, you know? And because we wrote all that and recorded in the lockdown, I think there was actually more lockdown after the album come out, came out, wasn't there? Because I seem to remember that the like the songwriting for this one was really, really easy because everyone had an idea of saying, right, if you you know submit five songs and I submit five songs and yada, yada. Well, um, yeah, and like we ended up, we've got probably, I would say, at least half of the next album kind of ready, you know, so look. It'll definitely um, not take two years for the next record. I don't think. Yeah, well, we've asked the label already, and they're saying early 2025, so we'll have to make it next year. Are they saying but, can't done, can't done. <laughs> just depends if people like this one, you see. If people are all like, there's a Donald Bond, this embarrassing disaster, uh, uh, the, the Scottish album. Or, yeah, so like, <laughs> when I'm saying it's weird, I suppose, like, I mean that in a positive way. I'm not like, mm. here comes risk, here comes, uh, you know, sound of white noise. It's yeah. we were very confident, we were very free in how we did it, and we were enjoying pushing the boat out. Mm-hmm. Song like Egyptron, yeah, but I think by, by saying pushing the boat out, it what what it really is though is pushing the boat out to like whenever you say you know rap music or you know disco beats and stuff, it's all stuff that's extremely applicable to the 80s vibe that we go for. Yeah. So, totally. it, like, I wouldn't describe anything that we've done on this as sounding like some sort of departure from the 80s. Like, it's no, no, whenever it's not... there's rap, it's 80s rap, it's 80s yeah. sax, yeah. it's 80s whatever, you know. Yeah, the meat is, the meat is still totally, the DNA is exactly the same. I yeah. always say, like, you know, when we do tunes and do albums, we're always saying to each other, oh, this one's different, man, this is it, this is different. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when it's released, people are basically looking at a row of penguins and trying to pick which one's sexy. Like, I guess that's the sexy penguin, that one. Whereas we're like, this one, that's raw. Yeah. used to say that all the time, to say, yeah, we could just like, you know, bring out the same album again with a different cover and see how many people twigged, like, you know. <laughs> there's a load of them now, like, you know. Yeah. I was... Maybe could I phrase it this way then, lads? Is it just that you're opening up to more of your favorite influences and they're actually coming through the music instead yeah. of being stymied i think so pre- previous oh, few, few yeah, releases I think one of the things that we always prided ourselves on was consistency and i think consistency is a lost art in heavy music but uh we probably were holding ourselves back to some extent i think we enjoyed uh we enjoyed putting this music together a lot more, like yeah. doing it you can, together. You can hear it on the songs. Yeah, like there were writing yeah. sessions where we would go to Domo's house and, you know, get high and write tunes and that's where Bats in Your Head came from. And it was very, it was like being teenagers, but teenagers who can actually play and write. So it was mm-hmm. like very free and easy. You put a demo together, the demo was hilarious. It was a ridiculous song and you're like, that's going on the album. And then we'll put a sax solo on it and it's wicked. So like, it felt much more like, play, like having fun, having the crack. Uh, and I think no matter what, that's good. You know, oh, even yeah. if a section of people don't like that. Once it's not lost from the transition from the demos to the actual album, that's that's where sometimes the fun gets lost. And that, that does happen. It does happen. it does happen. The song you're wearing the t-shirt of, um, Ready, Steady, Goat, I thought that the original demo had a totally different kind of feel. And it felt mm. way more like, oh, this is great. And I don't know, that just happens. Like, that's happened. Um, what was that song? Evil Eye, yeah. Wrecking Ball. 
Raging Skies. Yeah, and like the thing with Ra- Raging Skies, the demo was so good, wasn't it? It's unbelievable. So that was, that was on the album uh, Untouchable Glory, and we got together and spent like a week at Joe's house writing and demoing for that, which was like our first proper weekend demo, you know. Yeah. We demoing it together in a room, and Raging Skies like, wrote the lyrics in like t- two minutes, and the riffs were there, and like it just popped out like a greased olive, you know. And um, the demo was amazing. It sounded like Agent's Dale, and we were so excited about it. And when we recorded it, just somehow, just the lightning went out. It maybe just being clinical um, and producing it in the studio, or maybe it was what Scott brought to it, or maybe we just second-guessed ourselves. But yeah, like, nobody talks about that song, really. But we enjoyed it. Like, we enjoyed it at the time. I'm glad it exists. But the demo was fucking killer. I, I, I must take it out somewhere. Yeah, John. What about the guitar process with yourself and Damo? I know Damo is in London, isn't he? In London. Oh, you're in London, is it? Okay. Were you just in that mode of working remotely, and and did that happen with this album as well in relation to sharing ideas and stuff, or were you able to get get back and forth for jam sessions or what? No, we've been kind of doing this kind of um, sending and receiving stuff like ideas for the last like probably 10 years we've been doing it way ahead of everyone else really okay so uh even during the lockdown that's how we were able to write and record the album we all yeah. did it in, in my place and wasn't a problem so sharing ideas is, is more important than like being in a rehearsal room the idea of being in a rehearsal room can be just an like, absolute pain people want to just leave asap it's like okay an hour's done can we go now so uh, I think the, you share better ideas and the ideas come across much better if actually you just record it. I know it's that old school of I where people would say, oh, you get better ideas in the rehearsal room. But a mix of, I, I think a mix of all of them is the answer, though, because if you like when we get together as many of us as possible and write something, it always turns out good, you know. But generally, yeah. But yeah generally, we, generally turns out good. We, we did do collaborative online. We had this kind of software. I can't remember what it is. VST. Something and we did rusted gold with that. We kind of got the bones of rusted gold. We kind of did it all together and we were able to kind of, I was able to like record my guitar and it was like in, in real time. And I went to like those, I mean, Damo's um, Pro Tools, what have you. Yeah. Right. So we did, that's, how, that's how we recorded the whole album, really. I recorded all the vocals remotely using this. <clears throat> it's called VST, VST Connect. Okay. Um, it's like this, you know, it's a, yeah. you look at the computer, you've got a screen, the other person is live on their end. You can hear the audio live with no latency. Mm-hmm. Um, they can mix and get the files, you know, get clean files, all, all this tech stuff that I don't okay. understand. But um, yeah, that's how we did lots of the guitar and all the singing and everything. And I think like with JR and Domo, <clears throat> they're both quite clinical, you know, or well, JR particularly is, like everything is very carefully written and put together separately. I don't know if I've ever seen them really be like, I've got a crazy idea in the room. They're both like hyping away like a nerd writing this secretly somewhere and you know, yeah. wheel it out like a giant rabbit, giant wooden rabbit, and assault the tune with it. Like you know, so <laughs> but like I've I've never heard JR or Domo go, oh, I've a bit of an idea. They only ever go, here's a completely finished piece of lead guitar, and that's and that. Domo does that frequently with songs as well, where like he'll just turn up with the set of the best lyrics of all time and yeah. like a, a song to go along with him, and you're like, great, well, that's that's that was the most painless writing session ever like you know yeah Domo's like it's a pleasure to sing Domo's songs because he's he's so meticulous um his lyrics are always very funny very well written he chooses excellent words that sound good when you sing them you know the syllables in them the sounds mm-hmm. in them and like the mouth noises in them he 
makes them really tight to the rhythm. So you don't have to stand around wondering how it'll go. You know, you know, um, you just get stuck in and you just sing the whole freaking thing. Uh, whereas, like say, with like JR, I'll write the whole tune, but he won't come to you really with lyrics. And then Joe is a full spectrum of completely finished showroom condition song right through to bomb crater with the shoe in it. And he's like, there's a tune, like, and you're like, this makes no sense. So, like, you get a bit of, you, Joe gives yes. you a bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll get, like, one amazing riff, and you're like, that's an amazing riff. And you're like, but there's nothing else. And then he'll come back with a full tune, you know. Yeah. Whereas uh, Domino's got the filter where he won't show you anything that's not totally, totally done. He also yeah. does write spare riffs, which is really weird. Like, he doesn't write tunes where he's like, oh, there's a riff at the end. He just goes, what's the next one? Yeah. What's the next one? Yeah. And then the song's over. Mm. So there you okay. go. He's so look, we'll play uh, the the album. We'll go track by track. The first one, the prologue, under the pyramids, great introduction, and it sets the tone to the album like that. It's going to be fun. It's it's going to be a journey as well for the listener. So we'll just briefly touch on that. Whose idea was to come up with the under the pyramids? I think, I, mean, I think the, the the intro kept getting longer and longer and longer. Okay. So it did until there was this whole bit at the start and we're like, yeah, well, obviously because it's Egypty, we need wind, windy sounds at the start. And then that was like, actually, let's add this whole entire bit. And then it got to the point where like, this bit is so long that if it isn't a separate track, no one is ever going to play this. They're just going to skip. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. I'm like, we, we were like, Egyptron's like a six minute long song and it's got a one minute long intro. Yes, yeah. And the label were like, you know that you can't get on a playlist if your song has a one minute long intro that's full of wind and robot noises. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, okay, well, what if we chop on the vinyl? It actually goes seamlessly. And I think, I think it does okay. seamlessly on the vinyl, but um, everywhere else it's a separate track. And Under the Pyramids is a story by H.P. Lovecraft and Harry Houdini. Isn't that right, Joe? Yep. Okay. Um, and it's about Harry Houdini is the main character in it. And it was nice. like a promotion. It was like a marketing item for Harry Houdini, um, teaming up with a famous uh, pulp author to do this story. So Joe threw that title on it. And it's good fun. The first time I listened to it, I really laughed because it has so many different sound effects in a row. You know? <laughs> and uh, it reminds me of like bad news, you know, Warriors against his can. Yeah, totally, absolutely. Yes, indeed. totally loaded with sound effects, and you know we've always enjoyed that tune and laughing at the sound effects. So I guess this is our our little bit of that. Okay, so we'll go straight into the second track, which is Egyptron, and this is featuring Egyptian lover as well. So we'll just play a clip.
Like, the first thing is obvious for me is how huge the production is in this fucking album. It's fantastic. So massive shout out to Damo. Uh, yeah, he did a fantastic my job. My God. Yeah, yeah that's his detail. He's very, very rigorous. He's very detailed, like, you know, and it pays off. It really does. Mm-hmm. It pays off. Just with the kind of galloping bass and the drums, you're you're into Iron Maiden Power Slaves straight away, yeah, yeah. you know, and so, it's yeah. perfect. It's just like, ah, it's literally just gives you this, right, I'm relaxed. There's nothing going to fuck me <laughs> over here. I'm just going to really, go I along. I don't know with if most people would find this music relaxing. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. A lot of trash fans would anyway. That's why we're here. Yeah, so like, I, I love that it's an Iron Maiden type tune. I think it's a good statement of intent for the album. Yes. Yeah. Not a, it's not a heads down thrash tune. Um, what I like about it as well, <clears throat> well, I like how rangy and different it is. It has a lot of different stuff mm. going for it. The singing almost all the way through, there's harmonies and backing vocals and double yeah. tracking. And it's a much more, uh, well, the whole album is much more sung than any of the other albums is. Yeah. Um, there's tons and tons of backing vocals and, is, yeah. and harmonies and all this mm. stuff all over it. So it was a lot of work to get this song recorded. A lot of the singing is right at the top of my register as well. That bridge goes all the way right up to the top of what you would call my chest voice before you go, eh, right there. Okay. Uh, so definitely, like, I'm very proud of it as a tune. The main thing I love about it is the Egyptian lover is on it. Of course, That's yeah. And, you know, I've already done some interviews about it. Uh, no offense. And, <laughs> you know, a few people have been like, oh, I don't know who Egyptian lover is. And it's like, that doesn't matter. You're going to go yeah. find out about him now because yeah. he's a legend. He's one of the fathers of hip hop and electro music. Uh, so, Jerry and Joe, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I love that it's like, I think it's our longest song and it's got a lot of like, it's still thrash, like you just heard the speed there, but like the, the middle part is really cool. Uh, it's something that like thrash bands that are around for 20 years would never do, but we've done it. Yeah. You know, yeah. bands kind of like, you know, been around for, if you think of like, say, bands when like, say, I don't know, Sodom or Destruction or Creator, Creator, when they're around for like 20 years, they would never really take that many chances. Well, definitely like Destruction, for example, like they would just kind of just stick with a template. But uh, I like that we kind of just... I think around. Destruction <laughs> actually in the early days did, you know, with the Pink Panther team. In the mood and all that as well. Yeah, they did at the start initially, you know, um, but then they they got all serious, honestly. But there was that sense of fun about destruction at the start with Mad Butcher and stuff. That was fucking great, crack. Um, It definitely felt for this tune, though, because we were going in such a maidenly direction. Uh, I've been listening to loads of Visigoth and some bands like that who were kind of trying to do modern interpretations of that kind of power slave sound. But because like we got to the point where we're like, right, this song's about Egypt, and me and Philly had been going on about this song called Come to the Casbah, uh, which is like a ridiculous 1950s Egypty type song. Mm-hmm. So anyway, eventually, I can't remember why I ended up saying that should be the backing for the guitar solo, and then I record that and put it into the demo. And then because it had all this maidenly stuff and this weird Casbah bit in the middle, is like, right, the solo section should be insanely fast and extremely gamma bomby. And then I think, was it you, Philly, who said, here, well, we'll just send this to Egyptian Lover for the crack and see what he says? Like, I didn't I don't, I don't, didn't know Egypt, as he's known. I didn't know him then. Uh, just, but I'm a fan. Uh, my wife introduced me to his music. You know, okay. a lot of her friends are into kind of electro and all that kind of cool guy music. And, um, 
we had listened to him on tour uh, for quite quite a few years. Paul, our drummer, was a, was a big fan as well, and we're always listening to that kind of stuff as a bit of a palate cleanser in the van. Uh, so I followed him on Instagram, of course, and when we just had this middle riff, uh, it made sense. So I sent him a DM. I literally just said, "Hey, we're this band." You know, we're big fans of yours. We have this song. It's called Egyptron. I can't believe you don't have a song called Egyptron. You've been doing this for 40 years. <laughs> and I was like, do you want to uh, be on it? And he just, you know, in Egypt's real, like, he's a real iconic cat, you know, he's real, like, laid back. He just replied, sounds good. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, really? Okay, cool. And then I sent him the demo and he replied, going to be volcanic. <laughs> but so, it felt way more kind of like natural is he doing something with someone like him where it was like this is this would be our interpretation of like you know changing genres or melding it I think if we had done it with like someone like Carpenter Blunt or Perturbator and stuff it would have came across as a lot more kind of insincere whereas this mm-hmm. is just yeah. this is 80s meets 80s really isn't it? Like, I'm presuming he wrote his own lyrics but I love the way he married into that which you have there mummified in circuitry pyramids of light 10,000 years of memory soon to reignite ram is seized yeah. the power head and then he puts in programs from my circuitry my oh, yeah. frequency freaky as can be rhythm rock ruler I mentioned heat from the Nile booming these ferocious beats ferocious beats it's class like yeah I know he's amazing like oh, that I mean. means that he actually gave it Proper oh, listen to soaked it in it. like the vibe, you know, and respect. Like. Fucking assignment, man. Yeah, and yeah, you know, because we like I, I I talked to him about all that. I was like, look, the song's about a big robot, whatever. It's a bit more of a heavy metal kind of thing. The big robots destroying all these armies, whatever. As I thought, like, I I'm sure we both agree you should be the Egyptron, and the Egyptron is the Egyptian lover. So like, <laughs> go ahead, be the Egyptian lover. <laughs> Which is, but like, if you listen to any of his other tunes, you know, like. You know, I want a freaky, kinky nation yeah. with a female population. I can handle that situation. I don't care about my reputation. You know, like that's that's his his wheelhouse is being a sexy <laughs> Egyptian guy. Yeah. So uh, I actually can't believe we're sitting here talking about this. I can't believe this has actually happened. But yeah, <laughs> it was bound to come up at some stage. Yeah. And Gavin Kearns then on saxophone. Beautiful. Yeah. Gavin Kearns on sax. You know, we wanted to keep him like a Yoda and keep them secret until people heard the record. But yes, the album ends with a blazing sax solo. Gav Kearns is uh, an old friend of mine. Okay. uh, Of mine and my wife's. We did a bit of feeling around. My mate, Matthew Benson, is, uh, what do you call him? George Ezra's brass man. Okay. And he did a bit of fishing around for us with, you know, different brass people. But in the end, it's actually kind of gas. I kept thinking to myself, should I shout Gav Kearns and, and, and ask him to do it? And I was like, oh, he might say no one then. Really cool. Well, it's like, because he does the bit in Egyptron as well. The the bit that's supposed to sound yeah. like uh, an Egyptian flute, isn't it? Yeah, clarinet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like clarinet. But yeah, so Domo was like, I'm thinking to myself, I'll shout Gav, no, I won't, because he might say no, and then it'll be awkward. And then Domo was like, I found a guy who's going to do the sax. He's coming to mine next week. And then he was like, Oh, the sax is all done. He's a great lad. And he was like, uh, And I was like, Oh, cool. That's great. And he was all like, Philly, he knows you. And I was like, Who? He's like, Gav Karen. So, Turns Jesus. out he's the there you go. That's <laughs> there, there's the Joe formation at work there. Yeah. And what does um, what bands does he play with, Gavin? He for he was with the Jimmy Cake, who were an Irish band. Oh Jesus, that's years ago. Yeah, he was with him and John Germany and stuff were in Vinnie Cake. Uh, Vinnie Cake. 
and um, he played like laterally. He does loads of session, and he played with a wedding band, one of the biggest wedding bands. They were called Till Death to His Party. Um, him and Austin Pryor and those lads were in that. So like they were a big, like they were a fucking big wedding band. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what he does. And Gav's job, <laughs> he teaches sax, and he also does this thing where he goes to functions and there's a DJ and he plays saxophone over hits. So he like, so, like da, da, over yeah. like hits at weddings. So no, like he, yeah, so he's a real pro. And okay. He totally got the assignment. I think the, sax, yeah. the sax solo is delightful. It yeah. makes me laugh every time. And so is the clarinet, actually. Yeah, yeah okay. and the clarinet. Right, on to track three. Let's give it a blast. Living Dead in Hollywood. Uh, it's unbelievable and look i've said it before john and dom are one of the best twin attacks in trash metal simple as that um yeah it's a fucking joy to hear this i actually thought that this possibly was going to be the the single for you but then i was thinking with miami super cops i was thinking maybe that's probably why yeah look it's a fucking great track. It's it's gamma bomb. It's stamped all over, but there's fun elements in it, especially that solo. Yeah, it's quite um, it's it's a very uh, it's quite lighthearted as a tune, but it's a it's a real banger. Like yeah. I love the solo. I think when Jr. did the solo, there was not that there was pushback, but there was a bit of a like, right, you will do another bit. It's more like a normal solo. And I was just saying to the lads, no, like keep the crazy crazy horses by the Osmonds vibe, you know. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> You know, like the, the mad, like siren. No, it's really spooky. Like, it's and, class. you know, obviously, when you listen back to these tunes, especially if you're the person who's shouting all over them, you have to find things that you like about them. Yeah. And that's below just like brings me a lot of joy. It's brilliant. It's, and it's it's totally unexpected. I don't think people would see that solo coming. And then it does Hall of the Mountain King, which is just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's class. What do you say about that solo, Jar? Where, where were you coming from with it? Uh, I know when I did the because I was going with the, by the the song title "Living Dead," so I wanted something like a siren, like and uh, I just kind of harmonized like four times. Cool. And then I did the Hollow Mountain King at the end, just because. I know. Because I was good. Idea, like, okay, I'll just. <laughs> it's spooky. It's spooky. Yeah. yeah. 
probably the most thrash song on the album, actually. I think it probably is actually. Yeah, it's, it's up there anyway for beats per minute. And I think James, we were just to make sure that the start of the album had a thrash tune as well, so that people weren't just yeah. going. <laughs> You've already listened to a soundscape and a hip hop breakdown. <laughs> I think it's time for. <laughs> It's about death becomes her, which is fun. Like the whole fucking album is just littered with James Stewart's showmanship on the drums. It's insane. Like, uh, yeah. you know, brilliant. Yes. I just love, love the lyrics here. Mansion windows full of flame, getting old, but look the same. Turn my head right around the back. Streep, as in, in Merle, street. on the streets. And Goldie, Goldie in the sack. In the sack. <laughs> That's what you want, man, isn't it? Right. <laughs> Hold on. It's about. Is Joe singing that? Are you? Uh, yeah. Yep. On the streets, going to the yeah. Sector, so yeah. So it's about it's about death becomes her. Um, and like that was definitely a weird thing because I remember pushing for so long. It's like I haven't had a zombie song in years, lads. You know, it's clearly well over time, and it's like great. Okay, so another zombie song. It'll probably be about something good, like you know. Where I was like, yeah, let's write a song about serpent in the rainbow. And Philly's like, what about death becomes her? It's a zombie <laughs> movie, isn't it? <laughs> And I think I watched it. Um, I like growing up. I loved Death Becomes Her. Like, yeah. When I was a kid, I absolutely loved it because <laughs> it's quite camp, like myself. But then I watched it a couple of years ago. There, <clears throat> I rewatched it on the telly, and at the end, at Bruce Willis's funeral, like in the far future. Spoiler alert: They're still alive at the end of the film. And you know, the the pastor who's given the eulogy goes, and he loved to thrill us with his tall tales of the living dead in Beverly Hills. And I was like, that's cool. You know, so I think I had the title floating around for Sea Savage, didn't use it. We had lots of different book, uh, lyrics ideas, like quite serious political ideas and stuff, but I couldn't really get everybody's buy-in on them, and I sort of didn't know what my point was. And then it was like, right, well, what else have we got? And we kind of got down to the wire with it. And when we got down to the wire, I just opened an old Google folder and went, there's lyrics. And when we read them, it made perfect sense over the song, and yeah. we got it recorded in one go. I think it took 70 minutes to record the vocals for the whole song. Jesus. Right. Which is very, very quick. Towards the end of recording, you know, things are working yeah. very fast like that anyway. So, yeah. yeah, we managed to nail it in like <clears throat> an hour and a half. So, uh, yeah, it's good. It it's is. Good. It's fucking great. And it's, it's, it's good. It's good enough. <laughs> it's, it's perfect, as you said yourself, for the third song. Just reassures everybody the boys certainly haven't lost the plot. <laughs> okay. Number four, Rusted Gold. It's one of my favorites. So, we'll talk our way through it. I'll give it a spin first.
<laughs> Who wants to take this? Joe? As he lights his spliff. Well, you know, this, like, I guess the song really comes. John and Damo's uh, guitar solo parts and stuff are, are so fantastic. They really, really are great. But it's one of those things that for ages, I remember growing up and seeing, like, your man from Sodom had a side band called Desperado or whatever, like, you know, and like you would frequently see like these metal bands when they got older doing Western theme songs. Like, what the fuck's that about? And then fast forward, obviously, 20 years <laughs> uh, being in a band and you're like, time for a Western song, I think, lads. Like, yeah. But um, yeah, I love this. Like, I think Philly's uh, lyrics and vocal performance are great. Like, it's different, but it's also very us and like if you contrast it to the two song, the song before it and the song after it, which are pretty heads down, this one's also yeah. kind of bit. Yeah, bit I like the, I like the slow kind of the you know frontier Mexican kind of vibe off the tune. It's got this yes. weird Texaco kind of vibe like, off. It. Who doesn't love a fucking cowboy that's over the age of forty? Like, I mean, <laughs> I think Irish people have a real soft spot for cowboys. I yeah. think the post-war period in Ireland was all about cowboy pictures. Going to see <laughs> cowboy pictures. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and I think... We'd all be massive fans of uh, Treasure this year, oh. Madre. That would have been something that yeah. like was a big influence on this one. Yeah, yeah. and you know, the searchers. And I remember as a kid, yeah. my mom and dad going on a date to the cinema to see Unforgiven. You know, like, mm. cowboy pictures are a big thing. Uh, and I think with, you know, that's very alive with Thin Lizzy, like Thin Lizzy were. There was yes. men who were growing up in the post-war period and, you know, they did a lot, like quite a bit, as Motorhead did as well, touching on sort of cowboy things. Mm. So, like this song with the solo, you know. Was no that kidding. an homage to Tin Lizzy there, John, with the twin? Because I, I picked that up that I, I thought it was. I'd like yeah, to think that it was. Damo, that, that's, Damo's, um, that's Damo's harmony, but we do it together live. But um, yeah. yeah, you can feel that it has a kind of a cowboy kind of vibe. Or... Yeah, it's definitely a Lizzy thing. Damo, I think. Well, so we're an Irish metal band and the tune is a cowboy kind of tune. And, you know, I think Domo just immediately knew that you should reach for a Thin Lizzy solo. And it has, I don't know how to describe the music of it, but it has all the Thin Lizzy bits in it. And it also has like Irishy, like the solo also has sort of Irishy notes, which Domo has mentioned before. If he was here, he could talk about it a lot more than I can. But yeah, like, I really like it. We've played it live a few times now. We're playing it on the shows that we're doing at the minute. Brilliant. That's it goes great to hear. Well. Like people, yeah. people enjoy the gear change. I enjoy singing it live. It's a bit more of a crooner, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know. And yeah. um, it's just cool to have a western song, mm. you know. I think that's it. Yeah, because like I'm a massive Tin Lizzy fan, and just as I said to you, it's one of my favorites, and I, and I can't quite grasp what is it that draws me to that song in particular more than anything um, else. And I think just where I was listening to it as well, the setting and everything, it was just yeah, fucking... It. Um, and it's accessible, you know, because the song is slightly slower or it has slower sequences in it and it has a big catchy chorus. I think it's yeah. quite easy to, it's quite easy to latch on to, you know? Mm, yeah. Okay. Right. In for a full-on headbang here with Materialize. Here we go.
I could just take segments out of every song just for solos, and but no. <laughs> <laughs> there are other good things about this they record are, apart course, from the good yeah. I don't know what they are, but there are. Other. Yeah, this song. Slow it down and you have a ska song. There you go. That's my. Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> two pence worth. I just love that. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it's that's true. It fucking... is. Just, it's well, just it's like this. Yeah. And then when you're playing it, obviously, it's just like this insatiable itch <laughs> that you just have with this song. It's it's fucking great. It's another potential single for, for me, I thought. Who wants to take this? Well, I can talk about the lyrics. Um... Yeah, I, lyrics. Yeah, I got mad into reading about the spiritualist craze, right? Post World mm-hmm. War One, um, globally, it became spiritualism became a huge thing. Seances, table knocking, you know, uh, all these other amazing things like trumpet mediumship that we don't even hear about anymore, where people used to blow a fucking trumpet <laughs> and pretend it was a ghost. So there were a lot of different things during this craze, and Ireland in the nineteen twenties, in particular, went through a big craze for this, and I found it very interesting because. Um, between the you know the War of Independence and the Civil War, which ended in 1924, was it 23, 24? <clears throat> so like, I think the picture of Ireland that we all have coming into the mid to late 1920s is of a very conservative, very Catholic, quite impoverished, like intellectually impoverished country. Whereas actually in the earlier part of the 1920s, before the Catholic Church got a big hold, it was a place with a lot of like uh, kind of intellectual freedom. There was like mm-hmm. jazz artists in Dublin. There were writers like Joyce who were writing very confrontational, very shocking kind of stuff. And there were mediums, very, very successful Irish mediums. And there was a lot of like, out in D4, a lot of very high society kind of uh, table rapping and seances and stuff. Yeah. So I, I initially, when, when we were approaching the album, I wrote up this whole idea that the album would be about that, that the whole album would be about Ireland in the 20s, seances that we were in this story. Like Sea Savage, you know, like moving yeah. on from Sea Savage. To the 1920s and it's not that the idea didn't fly i think we just kept moving you know mm. um but one of the things that came out of that we had two songs that come out of it and uh one of them is kind of probably going to be on the next album and it's called necronomicon automaton which is a fantastic name for a song <laughs> uh and this uh, materialize and you know for all the brainy stuff i just talked to materialize is just about a seance that goes evil and you know People all get mm. evil up by some evil, uh, but like, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's a fascinating topic. All that you know, and yeah. when we when I was uh, writing uh, lyrics for this one, I was listening to um, "Affair of the Poisons" uh, by Hellripper loads. And, oh wow! Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, like, I, I I love Hellripper and yeah. um, "Bastard of Hades" has that shrieking vocal thing in it. Mm. You know? I am a goat, you know, yeah. and, I, and I was like, fuck, it's so cool. His voice, James's voice is so cool. So I'm copying yeah. That's what the chorus is. It's just me. You know, Bobby Blitz vibe as well, a little bit. Yes, yeah, there is actually. Yeah. Yeah. When we did the demo, when we first started to record it, Donald was like, you have to stop doing an American accent. He's like, stop, stop. Like, you're just being Bobby Blitz now. Like, okay, stop. The vocal phrasing has reminds me of Tip the Tails album a little bit. Yeah, I suppose it is similar. What do you? Donald does a cool solo, kind of as a kind of a Opeth kind of chord progression in the back. It's really kind of 
Yeah, yeah, it's actually got the start of Arabesque, doesn't it? By Claude Debussy, that is at the start of it. It's proggy. It's probably the most proggiest kind of chord progression for a solo we've ever done. Yeah. When we first when we first finished it, I was mad keen on it going on the album, but I think the solo section in it gives it loads of merit. You know, sharp and B. Yeah, it's got some really fancy, spacey. I'm like the solo. The solo has some really cool stuff in it. It's like super evil and shreddy, but then there's a wee Hendrixy bit. He kind of does it. He does a, a rotation through different styles of solo as he does it, which is very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like it's it's a good tune. I love ghosts and spooky shit, so I'm glad there's a little spooky tune on the album about all that kind of stuff. Cool. Excellent stuff. Right. Straight on to Mask of Anarchy. to make it onto the live set please send me uh, with yeah i think it should i think it should for sure yeah. oh, definitely it's a, this is a one there for the crowd all day long like this thing back <laughs> um there's always a kind of like a bit of a detail every album we make these days and right there has to be an out and out punk song on it like you know so mm, yeah um, I think we'd been firing ideas around for a wee while and like we just hadn't come up with any lyrics that were working so there was two or three musical candidates for what was going to be the punk song on the album and um, what uh, me and Damo put on, put together the riff side, the chorus riff and wrote the song around that but it was really, uh, Philly can probably tell you about this more, it was Luke uh, Luke Grammer, old guitar player, who's still very close with the band, he, uh, he suggested the idea for the lyrics to, was it you Philly, was it? Yeah uh, I, I was sitting around, you know, pottering around trying to think what we could do with that song and didn't really have a strong idea for it. And Luke texted me and just went, hey, are you familiar? Just out of the blue, he was like, are you familiar with Mask of Anarchy by Shelley? It would make a great song. And he sent me a link to it and I was I read it. Um, and I'd never read it before. I'd never even heard of it before. I hadn't read much of, of that romantic poetry. And I was like, yeah, this, and like the lines fit pretty much perfectly and stuff. Uh, and... I think it has a really good message. It's about uh, nonviolent resistance, and yeah. it's, it's a poem that's been used in loads of uh, protest situations around the world. Like people were reading it out uh, on statues in Tiananmen Square and all that kind of thing. So, I think it has a really good heritage to it. It's actually a, 
poem that's really well embraced by anarchists and socialists as well. So I found it very interesting. So yeah, we, I was like, nice one, Luke. Let's do that. Did you do uh, your own uh, taking it without directly quoting from it? As much as possible, it's directly okay. lifted. Now, some parts you'll see if if you were to read it, it's a very long poem. We've lifted, like say, a part that's twenty stanzas further down and brought it okay. up. And yeah. a few times we've had to shorten words and stuff. I think Joe definitely, when he was doing his BBs, he was like, "This line has to change." It was just too many yeah. words. Even the clip I played there, "What is freedom?" You can tell that which slavery is too well. too well. Its very name has grown into an echo of your own. That's class. Yeah, and like that's that's there you go, Percy Percy by Shelley. That's him. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we wanted to keep it as faithful as possible. There's a bit of repetition, a bit of editing, but it's great. I, I think, think he was one of these characters as well. He um, he made his own wee boat out of bits and bobs that he found around the gaff and went sailing and was never seen again. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> really? Sure. Yeah, no. I think so. No. Didn't Because that happened to the guy from the Allman Brothers as well. He made a plane from bits and bobs that were sitting around the house. And that obviously... Uh, crashed immediately and he was killed don't drink <laughs> or do drugs while constructing up. automobiles or... hold on I'm going to look this up <laughs> come on next song then Jesus. Okay. I'm going to look this up I don't know how Percy Shelley died okay Philly can uh, get back to us on that uh, John what do you think is that probably a live song that she can successfully carry off no we have to practice it first together but yeah we could pull it off yeah yeah. That's what I straight away as a crow favorite without a doubt um it's my two two pence worth okay next one is don't get your hair just update you before uh yeah he drowned uh he was (laughs) he went on a boating trip and he and two friends drowned uh i can't see any evidence that he made it out of bits and bobs from around the gaff Joe, I believe you. I don't care. I, I'm near sure he did. And, and I seem to remember there was another boy around that. It was a poet who died in similar circumstance. And he had a cat whose funeral was more well attended than his funeral. And apparently it caused an uproar. <laughs> yeah, apparently the, it was a custom belt boat made in Genoa for him. He didn't make it out of bits around the gaff. <laughs> but, uh, ah, fuck it, it sounds great. Huh? It sounds fucking better. And you'd yeah. imagine what's lying around Percy's has opium pipes. Cravats, yeah, letters, you know, none of those goblets of uh, tincture, none of those things are good for a boat. Not hardly a canoe, but anyway, (laughs) right. So the next song is Don't Get Your Hair Cut, let's give it a blast.
Grease those shiny shoes and slide on. <laughs> One of Be several. yourself. Yeah. Don't change rudders. That's the way I look at that. Well, that's a Nuri classic. Uh, grease those shiny shoes and slide on. That's the thing. <laughs> like slide on is one of those. So it's it's verbatim. <laughs> Nuriism. Joe. Well, this is a uh, John. Tell us about John. Tell us about the Rifola. I think Joe might be high lads. <laughs> He's fucking looking so happy there. I says, Jesus, I better get him in <laughs> there. And just I love this song. But like this is like these are some of John's best riffs. So, oh good, tell us about them. Let's let's get in there to it, John. The songs. I think it was around March. I do. And I took like I had to take a week off because of money holidays. I had to take a week off, otherwise I lose the holidays. And that's when I wrote all the the songs, March twenty twenty two. And I right. think Philly sent me a text that morning. Goes, John, come on, commit something. I was like, okay. So I, I spent an hour, an hour and a half writing this. Well, it has a. I don't know, what could you say? Uh, I like the the verse kind of riffs that 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 Yeah. Has a kind of rust and peace kind of vibe. Probably, <clears throat> probably know that by now. That's but. what I was gonna say. You could certainly say rust and peace, so you could the I song voice that was kind of like that that you know, kind of something that was sounded difficult, but it's not really that difficult. Uh, but the solo as well, John, is in- incredibly George Lynchified, isn't it? Like it's quite yeah, that that was like uh, I think we had to like do the solo really quick. I mean, that was done like April. Just there, like I think that was one of the last things we did. So it was all kind of like it was one take, <laughs> one take. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was really cool. I like the way it kind of it's the tempos on this album are kind of like it's nice that there's kind of tempos up and down, but they're all still fast. You know, we have lower tempos, but when we say lower, it's like one eighty, not you know, yeah, mid pace pro metal, you know, we, we, we still, our, all our songs are still fast. Just when we say the tempos are lower, it's still fast, you know? So, uh, but it's still a um, cool song. How, it would have good potential to be like kind of a compilation, like a video of just a compilation of people getting bad haircuts. Could yeah. definitely have potential to get like 50,000 views if we do it right. It's one of those brilliant things like where you're like, be yourself and don't listen to anybody, but also don't get your hair cut, you know, so like, don't listen to anybody apart from us, obviously, because we know because we some of us haven't got our hair cut. Like. I can't remember, Philly, was it did did you come up with it? Or, I remember around then somebody turned around and said to me, better the electric chair than the barber's chair. And I was all like, class, there's an idea for a song in there. Like, uh, yeah, well, I think. I think we just liked it as a song title. And I had this, I just had this thing in my head, um, hard and fast, built to last, long hair till I die. It's just coming in my head. And I was like, oh, that should be in the song. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously, what we enjoy having long hair. So. <laughs> so I think just go get your hair cut. And then I wrote these lyrics around it about like, you know, uh, as, as you grow up, people, you know, start, especially after COVID, start kind of drifting to the right. Or becoming mm. more selfish or more conservative or a bit more anti uh anti-sound in their views and it's about that it's about like when people sort of drift from you it's very easy to um play softball and just okay those views but that's how those views propagate so it's about like mm. don't be afraid to call people out or cut people out they yeah. are being uh mean to humanity so yeah. that's really where we got to with it but the essential message of the song is don't sell out and become a dingus just because you uh, have a savings account or a garden. <laughs> yes. Now, all these songs so far 
have we passed one of them that was the hardest song to nail down as a band or is it to come? Would it be Egyptron? I think for me, uh, for me, the hardest song was Rusted Gold. We did over 300 vocal takes to get it done. Fuck. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. It was the first song. Uh, so first song is always going to be slower anyway because you're just getting back into the group working together um, and recording and stuff. So we were getting it. A good bit of it was feeling out where it should go. Like, do we need a harmony here? What way should yeah. it not be sung? What should the fast bit be done? I think there was even a wee bit of writing that needed to be done, as in like bridging lines and stuff. Mm. And that took loads of time. And then we moved on into tracking it. And there's loads of harmonies. There's almost yeah. every line in the song's harmony. So, and then I remember when we got near the end, Dom was like, there you go. That's 300 ticks. And we were like, right. Wow. So the hardest one. Okay, cool. What about I don't know. I think sometimes it's it's sometimes it's a little bit that like takes ages to get done because like there's probably like a little squeak or a little noise or trying to get it trying to eliminate those parts are are annoying. Some some of Joe's songs are hard to get done. They might sound simple, but there's a little kind of I don't know. There's a Saxony one of the songs that kind of reminds me of Saxon a little bit. There's a Saxony bit I would think. So I just never always it's just okay forever to get done properly, you know. So as we the way we play like you know. And we're playing standard tuning and stuff, and sometimes you know, um, sometimes it can be even harder because and we don't we use not as much gain in our in our amp settings, so you have to play like spot on. Otherwise, you know, everything yeah. has to be clear. We can't just like we don't muddy it up like with ton of distortion and stuff. So mm. yeah. can't get away with. I'm not even 100 percent sure what the what the hardest thing I had to do was. Um, it was probably maybe actually it was probably one of the later songs like uh, "Bats in Your Hair." And um, secular saw, even though they're quite easy and stuff, the feel for them was like very different on the bass, and it required a lot, a lot of kind of different timings that uh, okay. I'm not used to. Okay. <laughs> right. Let's get on. Time is pressing here. Dream Stealer. Dream Stealer. Three dance. Cold song. Probably heard that. You know, you know, there. Yeah. Doing the yeah. It's a bit of a cult. It's a bit of a culture, isn't it? It is actually. Yes. Now you've mentioned it, I, I can't get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the cult. We wouldn't be able to write something like that like ten years ago because no. I like it. I like it. Mightn't be able to write something like that one year from now either. So it mightn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good. I like that it's like a hard rushing. Like I know at the end it turns into a, like the outro is like a thrash tune, but the rest of it's like hard rock. I think yeah. it's when I said the album's weird. I'm talking about this kind of thing. This you know, I soft spot for this song. I think the chorus is rad. Um, great it's a weird chorus. What's that? It's a great chorus. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's cool. It's a catchy chorus, and you know, it's um, lyrically it's about uh, all these. Like sort of, there's a lot. Of, the metal industry is small at the top. 
It's very small. We're not at the top, but it's very small at the top. And there's a surprising number of people at every level in the business who are bastards. <laughs> like mm. people who in any other industry or walk of life would be outed and not accepted. And I mean, you're talking about everything <laughs> from like far right racists to sex pests to thieves to con men and women. Yeah. And we've encountered so many of them over the years. Some of them have had an effect on us, some of them haven't, but we're always astonished by this. And we have this rule, which is don't work with, you know, and I think that's what this song is about. It's about like, look at these people, they exist. We're not exactly naming names because we're going to want to get sued because these same people are rich. But like, you know, they're in this industry and nobody does anything about it because everybody else is a dreamer and a true believer. And these decades are exploiting nearly everybody, you know, so, I don't know. It's just our chance to vent about that a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Musically, uh, the vibe for it actually was coming from, there's a band from South America called Atomica, and they're kind of similar band to Sepulture, but they really have a big impact outside there. But they have a song called Death Razor, and it has that kind of same vibe as, you know, Dr. Steen uh, by Halloween? Yes. Got that did 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 Wonder to try and see is there some way to kind of get a mix between like Accept Metal Heart and the Death Razor thing? So that was that was the idea for that. And basically, whenever it came to course time, it was like, well, here, me and Philly love the cult. And well, actually, I think everybody in the band loves the cult. And it was yeah. just something that we'd wanted to try. So I thought, fuck it, give it a go. Yeah. And like Chris, uh, who plays live with us, loves the cult. So I think it was also a bit of a nod for Chris, too. It was like, there you go, Chris, have, have some extra cult. <laughs> but I was, uh, you know, I was brought up listening to the cult. Um, mm. and I've seen them loads of times. And um, it's probably going to be the, the most divisive song on the record, though, in the sense that, you know, we're talking about it from the point of view of being all like, yeah, if you like Dr. Steen and Doc, uh, the cult and things like that. Whereas there's probably a lot of people who are, you know, part of the Denim Jacket Brigade who would probably look at this as being, you know, a, a bit of a sellout, really, for us. Like, you know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, although I do feel like it's on an album that has a lot of red meat on it. So, you yes. know. I don't think if the, I think if the whole album sounded like this, I could understand if people feel disappointed. Yep. But I guess the rest of the album throws a lot of stops to people who love speed metal, and also I don't care. So yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not a I accidentally wrote two hundred speed metal songs over the last twenty years. So <laughs> yeah, you, know, like, you know, if you want if you want a speed metal, tune, listen to every other song we've ever written. <laughs> it's over there, and that's what I mean. Like when I I said that to you with songs from. Uh, sea Savage that would fit on this album. I don't think Dream Stealer would necessarily fit on Sea Savage. Yeah, I think this is the headroom. I think this is yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, and you know what? I welcome it. It's fucking great that you're able to do it at this stage of your career and have the confidence to pull it off. And okay. I think you have with swagger. Okay, let's move on to Speed Funeral. <laughs>
metal community the thought of snowy dying i tell you what man it's, it was um it was a very difficult week you know uh mm. for everyone Un- unlike most people who die it only lasted a week um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah it was great to see the support and the derision of the community really uh, <laughs> great to see the and great to see the confusion that followed it as well because he's now alive again on his bar but yeah. like half of everyone who sees a new poster, and then it goes, "Is he alive?" And then yeah. like I actually quite enjoy that. <laughs> it was fantastic. It really was a really clever way of getting a lot of people's attention. And, it was. Uh, it was definitely one of the most fun bereavements that I've experienced. <laughs> top five, anyway. Top, top five. five. Yeah. Uh, getting the crowd together for the video, you had fun. Obviously, there's no doubting that. How long did it take you to film that? It. We did it all in one day. Okay. Um, on location in one day at Joe's mum's house <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah like the amazing thing about the video I think it's our best video I think it's great a crack it's yeah. really good and we are all sort of practiced enough in how videos get made now that we were able to you know everybody brought loads of ideas to the table mm. everybody like worked quite seriously at it and also we had the support of really old mates which was amazing we've never done that massively before but like a lot of our oldest, literally our teenage and childhood friends came and helped out with this yeah. um, and brought the crowd, a lot of family in the video. Like there's mm. family from me, family from Joe, loads of our mates and their families. Um, and it was just, I was, I was in a weird way, I was kind of really moved by it. It's like we had a big crowd of people. They all got really involved. A lot of people who don't normally do anything creative really took it and ran with it. And okay. it kind of goes to show like, People are normal people who aren't creative are dying to have a go at doing that. You know, yeah. it's like playing. Grown ups want to play. They want to create stuff and have a laugh. Mm. And um, that was really cool. It was nice to, to do. Uh, the video, I think, is very funny. It was edited by our friend Kieran, who has spent the last two years making a documentary about us, which will hopefully come out next year. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Yeah. And like, Kieran made quite a few videos with us. He made Bring Out the Monster and uh, yeah. Sea Savage. Wonderful London. So, yeah, so Kieran's editing, I think, is amazing. For nerds who like that kind of thing, he's an amazing editor. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, it's great. It's great crack. What are your main memories of the video, Joe, there? Yeah, like, I don't even remember, really. Like, the whole the whole thing <laughs> with the video surprise. was we, 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 weren't, <laughs> we weren't allowed to drink any of this booze. So it was fake booze, like, ah. basically, right? Which is very, very annoying because you're sitting about there looking at all these cans of real booze in the fridge being all like, I would much rather method act this sequence. Look, about fast forward about a week and a half later, my ma is a desperate woman for making Irish coffees for people like, and she makes lethal ones like, and usually if you have one of them, you're absolutely floored. And she had people around and they had like two or three Irish coffees and were feeling grand. And it turned out that they'd been drinking from a stunt bottle of powers that was sitting in the cupboard. <laughs> Amazing. With yeah, and then color, like, food coloring and all in it to make it look authentico. And then at like three in the morning, whenever I'd gone to bed and Joe and a few of the lads were still up, a big bat flew into the room. Oh, um, I saw the footage of that. Yeah, that's class. Yeah. I was sleeping there. Joe called it a fucking cunt. <laughs> well, no, that if that causes issues with your podcast oh, yeah, but... yeah. well John was sleeping upstairs and Kieran was sleeping on the sofa and they were totally oblivious to it and me and Emmett and Domo who are the usual 4am people yeah. were sitting about and anyway this thing came in and started flapping about as as they tend to do 
Mm. But yeah, we'll get to that later with a song all about that, so we can talk about bats plenty. Quite, quite important, quite important for the album, yeah. yeah. Was there much like, debate great. over this being the single, lads? Uh, there was. There was quite a bit of debate. We wanted Age of to be the first single, mm. okay. and uh, the label weren't interested as the first single. They said it was too long. Okay. So we kind of went right. Okay. Well, Speed Funeral. You know, it's it's very much in the vein of stuff that we do. I think yeah. it could easily be on Speed Between the Lines. Okay. Okay. So I think, yeah, it's catchy and it was out there and it's giving people what they expect. So I think that's good. No, no shame in it whatsoever, you know. And I think the video, we can really justify it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, secular saw. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's just a great song. I've just great memories of that again at a certain point of a, of the beach walk, and just laughing at that. Um, I love Fate No More, and your vocals there remind me a bit of Mike Patton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We, me and Domo call this the patitude, and um, you you know you give it a bit of patitude. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of something that we started doing an album or two back where we kind of realized that that bit of the register was there and you could make it sound like my pattern. Mm. Um, I think my children are screaming in the background, which should add a heavy metal element to the atmosphere. <laughs> like. um, but yeah, like I think with that tune, particularly we want to lean into it and make the chorus like, it's one of my favorite tunes in the album. I think like the topic it's about is great. The yeah. title is really funny. Um, and I like how catchy the chorus is. You know, when I, when, when, like I woke up one morning and the word secular saw just popped into my head and I was like, that's Jesus. Fun. Um, yeah, like, right, so we'll take that and we'll make that into a song. But when I was writing it, it was like the problem with a lot of heavy metal tunes that are anti religion or pro atheism is that they tend to give grief to the believer, they tend to be about you're a sheep, you're this. I'm sure, okay. I'm sure, uh, what do you call that Polish band where the guy looks like a bird shit, uh, Nurgle, or whatever that is. <laughs> like, they probably have like 300 songs where it's like you are. 
you believe in God or whatever. I was like, well, if you were trying to convince people to not do it, giving them shit probably isn't a good way to do it. So yeah. this song is like really positive. And it's like, look, if you believe in God, it's not actually your fault. Somebody just told you it was real when you were three. So now you can just stop. <laughs> so that's yeah. the whole like, secular saw. Like use use rationality and common sense to cut that off your life uh, if you want. Or, yeah. you know, continue to labor under the false apprehension that the universe has meaning. Um, that's so a that, fantastic that's riff, riffage in it as well, John. I was, um, I was trying to, uh, the intro has a harmony bit and I was, um, I was ripping off Blind Guardian. One of that kind of harmony thing. We never do that. We never really do that galloping riff as much. So I was kind of like, okay, let's do that. And I just wrote the riffs and I gave it to Don. He programmed it on. Okay. Anything to add to it, Joe? Uh, brilliant riffs. You know, this is uh, one of the ones that probably had a wee bit more of a difficult birth because, you know, sometimes whenever John will bring a tune to the band, it can require like a bit of arranging and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I think me, I had a go at it and Domo had a go at it at the same time to see what, what was working and what was not. But I think like JR, like the, the chorus and the intro and uh, maybe even the pre-chorus were all kind of there in your original yeah. demo, weren't they? Yeah, they're all in the demo. The demo was very close, I think. In terms of having those like the cool chorus idea and stuff was all there from the off. It's Definitely one of my favorite one. tunes, tunes yeah. on this record yeah. anyway. Like, you know, it yeah, has it that yeah. there was room to put like a bit of a kind of chorusy thing on the bass, because like originally me and Domo were thinking it needed to have that like bomb, 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 bomb. Yeah. But it needs that kind of more fill in the bim 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 kind you of know, thing. You know? that, the bass playing on it's quite big haired and sexy. Go, 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 yeah. like, the verses and the um the guitar solo were the worst riffs to record in the album because they're all, as John will tell you, in that sort of tight kind of rhythm, like you know, and the drumming as well. Yeah, it wasn't, it was, I suppose, doing the Mike Patton, the Patitude stuff is not mad easy, you know, it's kind of hard. He sings very hard, yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I'd love to play live. Okay, final track Bats in Your Hair. Sexy, you know? I was hoping, right? And this is no word of a lie. I was walking along going, imagine if they just did the heat is on at the end. 
and I shit you not. And it's literally the last fucking three last or four seconds. Minute. And I went, what? Oh my God, Jesus yeah, Christ. Like a madman at that stage of the walk, like it was, it was in the middle of the town. I was just going, what? Oh my God. <laughs> like a madman fucking in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> what? He's it's doing amazing, it. But it's, it's, it's the last like three seconds. And That's the last it used to be like in the demo there was absolutely ridiculous lyrics over this end <laughs> bit that were just oh, it was kind of like you know james brown type thing as in naming a load of places that began with a b and, and we were like it was meant to be like doc and oh you know i love you it was all like girl girl uh, i'm actually quite proud to say now that's the first riff i wrote that ever made it onto a gallon ball album oh yep. class there you go. That's my riff there. Da, 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 da. And I'll see you in court. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Not only was it the saxophone as well, but that's just pure 80s trash chanting. There are, and then the next one, bats. <laughs> well, I'll there tell you are what, bats in. Yeah. And I was just cracking up laughing at that. Well, man, we, um, great we, parody, like. We went to Domo's house and um, I was smoking at the time. Um, we smoked a couple of joints. And... Yeah. Jesus, we're in like Domo's wee studio in his gaff, like, and we're having a can and smoking a couple of joints, and we were really stoned, and we're giggling, you know, like when you're like 15 and you get stoned, and you're like, hee hee, start giggling, like, we were like giggling our ass off, and we had the guitars, and we're like, passing, we're like, bats, we had that riff, uh, and we had a couple other riffs that were total nonsense, and then I did that end one, and when we were doing that, we we're like, well, we should, we should spell out the entire sentence in gang fights. <laughs> You know, and I think like we were like crying, laughing, recording it. There's a demo somewhere of it. We also recorded a rap song that will never be released. Uh, <laughs> the Gamblorm rap. Yeah. If it's good enough for Wham, it's good enough for us. The Riffola, though, was quite um, was quite Judas Priesty, though, John, wasn't it? Like there was definitely, or is it more kind of, I don't know, par metal or something like that? I don't know. Maybe, like, I would say, yeah. Gamblorm rap or what? No, the the rips for bats in your hair, the chorus and the pre-chorus and all. Well, it's real priest, like it's real Judas Priesty. It is power metal, so yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's like, a perfect song to end the fucking album as well. Like it's, it's just a perfect, perfect song. It is. <laughs> You're left That's wanting true. more, you know. You feel that you had the crack with the lads. You listen to all their songs, but you're here. You are laughing like a madman along to the last song of the album, which you should be <laughs> like, you know. And yeah. it's uh, just. That's good fucking perfect the way it just fits in all together book closed and you're wanting more you're you're looking yeah, forward to the next album but that's that's very kind of you to say i think it's the first album where we tried to approach it without any ego in what songs went on the album nobody was like i want mine on or yeah. when we did say that we just shut it down because the point was to just assemble the music for what yeah. worked for the music mm-hmm. and i think domo was a real enforcer on that you know like everyone would turn around and go what about this tune and you would go yeah but that's you choosing a tune so there was just kind of a centralized list thrown together for what worked musically. I think yeah. Donald kind of decided really, but it made sense for him to decide because he didn't really care, you know. <laughs> and he ended up putting tunes on it that he was like, I don't like this tune, but it makes sense. So, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, like, it's it's a good album. I hope people like it. It's, um, it's not a good album. It's a fucking brilliant album. And it's standing on the shoulders of enough. all the rest of them. You know what I mean? So it's, and like when, People that have listened to Sea Savage, and it's a natural progression onto that. And it's you flexing, flexing your muscles to say, look, this is what we are now. We've arrived at this point. Respect our fucking choices of songs, because this is what Gamma Bomb are in 2023. And it's, ah, it's a brilliant album, lads. Thank you so much. That's very Thank you, man. I feel like um, 
we're, we've definitely arrived at a point now where we're very comfortable with doing our own yeah. thing and our own thing is quite distinctive now yeah um yeah so like hopefully people i think people who dig us will get what we're doing here the fact that you can go online and go our mascot has died and like 500 people leap in immediately pretending that he's dead yeah is a really good sign for this record. <laughs> you know, yes. Those who are not going to be horrified by the sax solo. <laughs> you know? It kind of seems like now with the band that there's this kind of thing of there's like the out and out thrash songs and then the heavy metal songs and then the punk songs and then the sort of yeah. other otherly songs, whatever whatever the motion of the day is. So I think what we're going to probably try and do is see how we can work that into the set, you know, because something that we've totally realized over the last few years is that even though our sets aren't particularly long, after about an hour of playing really fast songs, people are knackered. You know, you can see people in the audience are just standing there being like, I am yeah. out of juice. And, and we're we're quite lucky. We're at a point in our career now where we tend to either, obviously we headline our own shows, you're on late, or at festivals we tend to have decent slots. You know, we yeah. on a second and third stage, but we tend to be on late. Uh, and that means people have already drank a lot, they've been awake all day, they've been hanging around all day, and they've watched a lot of metal. So I think... One of the things for growing the band is there needs to be variety in the set. <clears throat> in the set, and I remember years ago we went and played in Malta. Do you remember that? During like a hurricane, <laughs> we went and played in Malta. And when we were playing the set, we played Bring Out the Monster, and it just made a massive difference because yeah. people had a few minutes to stop running. <laughs> you know? uh, so yeah, I think that's a factor in it. And yeah, we're we're comfortable in our own skin. We're enjoying doing it. You know what we mm. always say these days is. Other men, <clears throat> other middle-aged men go golfing. We yeah. do this, and you know we treat it as a treat and yeah. as a cool thing to do, and mm. uh, it's an adventure. So, like, yeah, we're in a pretty good place with it, man. Yeah. And I don't see why we wouldn't uh, milk this one and make another album and see if people will tolerate yeah. that too. <laughs> So that's it, lads. Thanks a million for taking the time to join me on the show and go through all this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. And, uh, Thank you, Richie. You've been very kind. You've been very kind. Thank you very much. Maybe uh, am I probably one of the few that you've have feedback from outside of friends. Yeah, and you're like virtually none, really. You're the. Yeah, that's, that's I, did, I did an interview with Metal Hammer Germany, and the guy, like he had listened to the album and he was a smart dude. He had smart things to say about it. He didn't give me really any opinion. He was just like, yes, it's good, you know. Mm. Um, he didn't necessarily, like, uh, he didn't go into detail. Whereas, thank you very much. I think it's been actually quite heartening to hear that not only did you enjoy the music, but that it actually had some resonance for you because that's what you want, isn't it? Like, you know, you want people to tie it to a moment or to an experience or to a feeling that they have. Like, all the best records in my life, I can I can say, oh, I was sitting there and I was yeah. doing this. I was with them and this was going yeah. on. And so... <clears throat> that's what you want in it lads in it indeed it absolutely yeah. but no absolutely looking forward to getting to Limerick and uh, having a couple of pints and stuff and with a bunch more Irish gigs coming up uh, to start next year on a European tour and some other yeah. ballocks so yeah, those Irish announced I don't remember we're, we're going to do a European tour next spring but we haven't announced it yet one of the gigs came out today uh, one of the, oh, the Irish is the Irish gigs announced uh, yeah, yeah. Belfast okay. and Dublin are announced. There's not a couple of ones to announce after that as well. Uh, with Party Cannon, which I saw on last Friday, and they were killer. They played in Hackney. Okay. <laughs> uh, Party Cannon, lovely. They're, they're good lads, and it's a different Ooh. thing, you know. They're like death metal or whatever you know. So. Slam, <laughs> really cool. 
And lads, as always, congratulations on your merch as well. It's outstanding. Hit up Gamma Bombs socials. You'll see all the merch there. There's probably a pre-order running for the album. Yeah, and if you go to our European merch store at Omerch, you can uh, order the exclusive Golden Vinyl. Oh, there you go. This this year, this UK and Ireland tour uh, with the Siege of Limerick, we'll have our Golden Vinyl with us. The only place we have. Yeah, going to buy a shit ton of merch off you in in the Siege of Limerick. So, that's by Gamma Bomb is coming out on November the 10th on Prosthetic Records. Congratulations again, lads. It's a fantastic you, album. Um, it's my favorite one of yours so far. And, you know, you're a kind man, Rich. You notice that I said so far because there's another one coming and that's just really heartening to hear. I, I keep saying that I want to call the next album Cats, right? And the cover, <laughs> should, be, the cover should be exactly the cover of Bats, but with Sella taped on cat faces over all the Bats. Why not? And a big C tipped over the B and Batsy. It's cost effective. You know, <laughs> cost effective brand building. But thanks so much, Betsy. You're a star. Brilliant. Thanks again, lads. Take care. And always right, support your local. Take it easy. Medicine. Bye.